we are in a series titled, Who is God? And this is an important series. Why? Because God wants to be known for who he is. Uh, And left to ourselves, we will never come to an accurate understanding of God. We always make God in our image, and he's wholly other. And so we're dependent upon God revealing himself to us, which he has in the scriptures and ultimately in the face of his son, Jesus Christ. And so uh, God wants a relationship with us, and the, the better we understand who he is, the deeper our relationship. And this is week four in the series, and our uh, topic today is the sovereignty of God. God's sovereignty. Let me just start by defining that. God's sovereignty means that uh, he is above everything as ruler and controller, and nothing happens that he has not determined or permitted. Okay, so all things are under God's rule and control. All things. There's nothing that happens in your life or my life. There's nothing that happens anywhere on planet Earth, including ISIS, that is not under the rule and the control of God. And nothing happens anywhere. Nothing happens that God has not either determined or permitted. That's what it means that God is sovereign. A.W. Tozer wrote a book called The Knowledge of the Holy, and he said in order for God to be sovereign, he must be three things. Number one, He must be all-knowing. He has to know everything. Number two, he must be all-powerful. And number three, he must be absolutely free. And of course, uh, these are attributes of God, in a sense, kind of sub-attributes of this uh, larger attribute of sovereignty. God is sovereign over his creation. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11, we read this. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. God is sovereign. Shorthand, God is in control. Now, as a follower of Jesus Christ, this is, a, uh, this is a comforting doctrine, a comforting truth, because the one who has claimed you as his own, who has adopted you into his family, to whom we pray, Abba, Father, he's in control of your life, and how comforting. And so, when your children are acting out, God is in control. And uh, when your teacher grades you unfairly, God is in control. And when your loved one is lying sick in the hospital, God is in control. And when the stock market crashes, God is in control. And when you lose your job, God is in control. When your life feels out of control, your God is in control. And that brings us tremendous comfort when we receive that truth by faith. The sovereignty of God affects the way we pray. Do we understand when we are praying to whom we are praying? Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. The Lord is at hand. I love that. The Lord is at hand. He is not a far-off God like the deists. He's not the watchmaker God who creates the world and then just lets it happen. He is, he is near to us. He is at hand. He's a very present help in time of trouble. 
The Lord is at hand, the close God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why is it that the peace follows petition? It's because by faith, when we take our our desires, our needs, our fears, and we entrust them to God, we can then just rest. Because with God, the, here's the thing, the, with God, the answer to our prayer is never, I wish I could, but I can't. Boy, I wish I could help you out. I just, I just don't have the power to do that. That is never, ever, ever the answer. When we entrust our anxieties to God, he will either say, yes, no, or wait. Never, I wish I could, but I can't. I just, I just can't do that. I don't have the power. He, he has all power. It, it is absolutely in his control. And so by faith, last week we talked about the goodness of God and that he works all things out in our lives for good. And so by faith, we trust the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God, and we can then let it go. Now, will he always, you know, answer the prayer the way we've prayed it? No. Not necessarily, not necessarily. Often he does. But he's, you know, but he will work it out for our good. And we can, we can release it to him and then relax. Release and relax. Uh, in my own personal spiritual life, the sovereignty of God coupled with the goodness of God is like the baseline. <laughs> I don't know how many times I have found peace in my life because I've, I have said, okay, God, you, you love me, you're, you are good, and you're in control. I entrust it to you. I can relax, right? That's what God wants for us. That's, in, in a sense, uh, our rights. Um, real God, God as he wants you to know him, and he points out that the Bible reveals the sovereignty of God in five ways. Number one, uh, God's titles. And God has a lot of titles in the scriptures. Here are just three of them. El Shaddai, God Almighty. El Elyon, the Most High God. Uh, Jehovah Shabaot, the Lord of armies or the Lord of hosts. Secondly, God's Sovereignty is revealed in the scriptures through his promises. God makes outlandish promises to the follower of Jesus Christ. Promises which he could not fulfill if he did not have absolute control over the universe. Uh, let me just remind you of some of the promises God makes us. He promises to supply our every need, Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God promises to strengthen us by his grace, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. God promises to provide a way of escape with every temptation, 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God promises us victory over death. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. 
We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. God promises to work all things out together for our good, Romans 8, 28. As we know, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. God promises to forgive our sins and grant us his Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, Repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God promises to raise us to eternal life where we will dwell with him forever. John 10.27, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. These are outrageous promises. And you don't promise something that you can't, you know, deliver. I've learned that as a parent. (laughs) You know, my kids are quick to point out if I've made them a promise and then don't deliver. God makes outrageous promises because he is totally sovereign, absolutely, 100% in control. Number three, God, uh, the Bible reveals uh, reveals God's sovereignty by the fact that he is Lord of history. Or his story. He is the Lord of his story. In Isaiah chapter 46 verse 9. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Listen to this. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. God declares the end from the beginning. How do you declare the end from the beginning? How in the world do you know how something is going to wrap up or play out? Well, because God has 100% control over the universe he created. And so he can declare the end from the beginning because he's in charge of it all. Number four, uh, God's sovereignty is revealed through fulfilled prophecy. Right? God, uh, often hundreds of years in advance, God would foretell something happening in, in uh, minute detail, especially we think about the, the Messiah and the life of the Messiah and how many uh, prophecies were fulfilled in, in Christ's birth and, in, and life and death. And then finally, uh, the Bible reveals the sovereignty of God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus says this, For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. Here it is. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. God's God's authority, his sovereignty, extends even to death itself. Isn't that amazing? Jesus said, I, I have the authority to give my life up. I choose to die, but I also can choose to live again. God has given me this authority. Isn't that amazing? So is this your understanding of God? That's my question. I have a yin-yang same symbol. Okay, so a lot of people, their understanding of, of the universe is symbolized by this yin-yang. There, there's good and evil. And they are kind of equally powerful 
and constantly tussling, right? There's this, this struggle for control between good and evil, between God and Satan, or however you want to term it. And, uh, boy, it's always good when God, you know, wins out. But you never quite know, and so you live with a little nervousness, whether, whether evil might win out in your family or... That is not biblical. The Bible says that God is absolutely ruling and in control of everything, everywhere. Satan is a creature. And you look at the story of Job, Satan had to come before God in order to touch Job. He, Satan so desperately wanted to, uh, to give the big elbow to, to Job, but he couldn't do that on his own. He had to go get permission, and God had to say, yeah, okay, go ahead. That will fulfill one of my good purposes for Job. So is that your understanding of God? Do you understand that he is absolutely sovereign in the universe and in your life? It's important. It'll affect the way you pray. It'll affect your faith. And it will affect the way you relate to God. And for a Christian, it's a tremendously liberating truth. Well, the sovereignty of God always leads to two kind of uh, thorny questions. And one question is the, the problem of evil. If God is sovereign, why then is there evil? Right? Uh, wouldn't he just use his power to, to stamp evil out? Well, if, now one thing the Bible tells us is that there is coming a day in which God will completely stamp out evil. And so we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And when he comes, uh, he will remove evil from the universe. And we look forward to that. And that is a great promise. But right now there is evil. Why? Does it mean God's not sovereign? Well, here is the, um, here's the short answer. The presence of evil is the high price tag of human freedom. God created us as uh, free moral agents. And unfortunately, we used our freedom and continue to use our freedom to rebel against God and to do wickedness. And so uh, the presence of evil in the world is the high price tag of human freedom. But here's the good news. The good news is that the presence of evil does not uh, risk God's good plans for us. Even evil ultimately serves God's good purposes. Let me say that again. Even evil ultimately serves God's good purposes. And so it is true that everything that happens under the sun is according to the will of God. But we do need to differentiate between God's perfect will, that which is in accord with his character and his uh, revelation in Scripture, and God's permissive will. So there is no evil that happens that God does not permit. So if you've been trying to let God off the hook by saying to yourself, oh, God didn't want that to happen to me, or, or you know, God was powerless to stop that, that's not true. We all know that God has the power to intervene at any moment. He can't, but he often chooses not to. Hmm. Well, what do we trust? We trust that all things God is working, all things out for good in our lives. So here's an example of that, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, the life of uh, Joseph. So Joseph was um, hated by his brothers. 
And his brothers, in an attempt to hurt Joseph, sold him into slavery. And it brought pain and suffering into his life. He spent time in prison. And, but eventually, uh, he went down to Egypt as a slave. But eventually, God lifted him up to the number two position under Pharaoh. And through Joseph, um, God provided food for many, many, many during a, a seven, seven terrible years of family, including food for his own family so that uh, the descendants of Abraham could live. At the end of his life, Joseph had a chance to re connect with his brothers. And here's what he says. But Joseph said to his brothers, do not fear for, I, for am I in the place of God? It's not my business to judge. As for you, you meant evil against me. Okay, so there's the, now, the humans. They were the moral agents. They intended to do evil and they did evil. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so Joseph saw that, that, the, that God was able to um, weave even the wicked, mean-spirited act of, his, uh, act of his brothers into all, his ultimate good plan for Joseph and for the world. So it really, it always it comes down to, do we trust God's goodness towards us? He is in control. Now, James tells us, um, just because God um, uses evil, just because he um, makes use of it, doesn't mean that he is himself culpable. We are the moral agents, and if we do wrong, it's on our heads, not him, his. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. So God is never the agent of evil, although in his sovereignty he, he will even weave it together into fulfilling his good purposes. All right, so the first question, if God is sovereign, why then is there evil? Second question is, if God is sovereign, am I really free? If God is truly in control of everything, does that mean, am I really a free, a free agent? And the answer to that is, it depends on how you define freedom. If by freedom you mean, can I do something that's going to surprise God, throw God off kilter, force him to react to me? Can I disrupt God's plans with my own will, the answer is no, you can't. But if by freedom you mean, am I free to do what I want to do, apart from coercion, the answer is yes. That's human freedom, according to the Bible. It is doing what we want to do. You and I have the freedom to do what we want to do. Now, Martin Luther pointed out, however, that since the fall, our will has been corrupted. He wrote a book called Martin Luther, by the way, the great reformer, right? Uh, started the Reformation. He wrote a book called Bondage of the Will, in which he said, Adam and Eve in the garden were the only uh, blank slates. But as soon as they reached out and took the anvil and rebelled against God, the principle of sin entered the world, and, and, and that sin nature has been passed on to all of us, so that we have a predilection toward wickedness. We have an appetite. For sin. We're not blank slates. You're not born a blank slate. 
equally attracted to good and equally attracted to evil. You are bent toward wickedness, says the Bible. And so, yes, you're free to do what you want to do. The problem is we do wrong. So that's an important understanding. But here's the bottom line. The bottom line is the Bible teaches both the sovereignty of God and the uh, and human freedom, the free will of man. And those two truths are held in tension. And a Bible-believing, super-intelligent, godly people have tried to parse it out, and um, they often, and it's very interesting. In fact, I'm going to give you a couple of resources if this interests you. Uh, and so oftentimes there's kind of the Calvinist camp and the Arminian camp and, and uh, compatibilism, all kinds of ways you can parse this out. Um, so here are two resources if you're interested. Number one, if you're interested in that question of if God's sovereign, why is there evil? The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis is a great book. You can write that down. And then, uh, yes, probably. And then my um, advisor when I was in seminary, D.A. Carson, his book, Human Response, Divine Sovereignty and Human Responsibility. So let's, let's bring it all to a head. How should we respond to the sovereignty of God? Number one, bow the knee to the king of the universe. That's the number one. <laughs> God's in control. You're not. And you might be sitting on the throne of your life, but you're a usurper. God should be sitting on the throne of your life. And if you're sitting on the throne of your life, you're in rebellion to God. And those who oppose God, in the end, they're not going to win. God is sovereign. He wins the day. And there is coming a day, the Bible says, a day of judgment in, 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 at which those who have rejected God's sovereignty in their own lives, who have ultimately rejected God's gift of his son, Jesus Christ, and have said, no, thank you. I'm going to live my own life the way I want to live it. They will, be held, they will be standing at the day of judgment on their own without Jesus as their advocate, and it will spell a day of disaster. That is the clear teaching of Scripture. So, number one, God is sovereign, you're not, so you ought to bow the knee now. Because if you bow the knee now, then at the day of judgment, it's a day of great reward and a day of great rejoicing. Uh, number two, since God is sovereign, if you're a Christian, take comfort from the fact that your heavenly Father is working all things out for your good. Man, you don't need to stress. The pressure is off. God is in control of your life, and he loves you. He's working all things out for good. And you don't have to understand it. You can receive it by faith and walk in that peace, right? That's what God wants for you. And boy, uh, I, ha I, ha I have, well, I just know, in a, in a group this size, that is the word of God for many of us, right? Right now, there is something in your life that God is saying, would you just please relax and, and entrust it to me and then walk in peace? You're, you are being all keyed up unnecessarily. And then finally, because God is sovereign, we should encourage others to enter into the safe harbor of a relationship with God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. We possess great news. Uh, we are the people who have, uh, who have peace with God. Uh, we, we are citizens of heaven. And we're on the inside. 
And God entrusts to us the good news to go out and share with the rest of the world. Hey, uh, the one who is in control of the universe is good and loves you so much that he sent his only son to hang upon a cross, uh, to bleed and die, to pay the penalty for your sins. You can be reconciled to God. You can enter into his, into his good care and to his eternal kingdom. And we need to be bold about that, right? We need to be intentional about that because there are people that uh, live near us and work with us, we go to, with whom we go to school and are friends with and family members who need uh, to need to hear this. I, I heard one time, I think it's people need to hear the gospel seven, on average seven times. Somebody needs to share the gospel with them before they come to Christ. Um, so you might be number four, you might need, be number five. Don't be discouraged. Sometimes you get to be number seven. 